Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 39. Psalm 39, as we gather together around another psalm, I, I want to commend you as you're turning this evening uh, for coming uh, to worship the Lord uh, by morning and evening, but also coming in spite of the title that's in the bulletin. I mean, you had a chance to see that this morning. If it had been a title that said, How to Get a Million Dollars in Four Easy Steps, I would expect you all to be here. Or if it said, how to have a blissful marriage with no work on your own, everybody would come. But how to be depressed? It's a, it's a work of spiritual supererogation that you're all here. Psalm 39, hear the word of the Lord. To the choir master, to Jethunan, a psalm of David. I said... I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely, All mankind stands as a mere breath. Shelah. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Shelah. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not hold your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me, that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we ask now for your word to be open to us. Having inspired it, O Lord, you are the one who can shine it in our hearts and lives. Help us to see and hear your word as an errant and inspired true and infallible and authoritative in our lives, and we will give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, the holidays are soon upon us. Just after the election, we'll have that short little span and we'll be in the fervor and the fever of the holiday season. And you know what that brings. Visions of toys and and candy canes dancing in children's heads. Your pastor's favorite holiday, Thanksgiving. There will be great celebration and, and giving thanks to God and watching a football. There could be nothing better. There will be joy. And then there will be also that fudge ripple of life, those little streaks and tinges, not of happiness, but of sorrow. Not of joy, but of depression and feeling down and odd and just grumpy about all things. Oh, life is full of ups and joys and occasions of great rejoicing. And it's also full of valleys as well. Down in the valley we go where the shadow is and there's a shiver of cold which runs across our spines. The psalmist today sings to us of how to think and how to feel and how to pray in the normal Christian life just like that, that you and I go through and go through especially during the holiday seasons. The psalm begins with a reference to a historical figure. It, it may be a direct reference, perhaps. This was written for the choir director whose name was Jethun, and, and so he took the poem, the words that David was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write, and he set it to music. And then it was played for the people of God uh, in the tabernacle of the Lord. Or perhaps it's an indirect reference. Perhaps there is a tune dedicated to his memory because of his great service in the temple or tabernacle complex. And so he is being remembered here and appreciated for his service to the Lord by the tune. Whatever the case, David is the writer. And there is another who set the jig. And so we do well as we handle this psalm to remember that it's not just words. It's not just sentences. It's not just stanzas in a poem. But it's meant to teach the heart as it's sung and played to music. It begins, I said I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle as long as the wicked are in my presence. We begin and and in the first half breath, we think, well, it's a, it's a psalm of wisdom. But then we get to the last half of the first verse and we think, perhaps more accurately, it's a psalm of despondency. A psalm which has a down note because David finds himself in his singing, not just keeping silence and holding his tongue, but holding his tongue because he is in the presence of those who do not know and love the Lord. He is living and sitting surrounded by wicked men. Wickedness is all around him. The wicked stand before him just as if they stand around us in all of our lives. When's the last time you rode a subway or a bus? My wife is getting used to doing that uh, almost every day now. She takes a bus downtown, and, and we've been through the whole routine of learning what to do while you're on the bus, you know the one thing you can't do is look at each other. It's like in an elevator. You don't do that. And so we got an iPad, and we thought, you know, this iPad will be a great way to do 
work on the bus, and of course the bus vibrates. And so you can see the uh, iPad if you just get in the same rhythm, but it's very hard to type. And so the iPhone is better. You can just hold it close and, and read your email and, and maybe type a thing or two back. Oh, the, the context in which we find ourselves, uh, in a bus or in a subway, that, that crowded, pressed-in group, people that you don't know, like packed in an elevator together, and the one thing of which you can be sure is that all of them are sinners just like you, the whole lot of you, together, surrounded on all three sides, it feels like, by those that are in need of a Savior just as much as you. David here is singing of his silence before those who stand there in their wickedness and evil and rebellion against God. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. The wicked are like that. They listen and test every word. They monitor and wait for a stray word through which to pounce upon you and to accuse you and to make your life miserable. Sometimes what David is singing about is exactly the case. We shut our mouths and are silent. Sometimes silence is the best policy in those situations. The wicked stand before us. And so the righteous, in contrast, have to hold their tongues. I was mute, he says. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. And so, in our silence, we stew. We fester. We ferment. It goes from bad to worse. It tears us up on the inside, and our hearts begin to burn. The turmoil overwhelms us. My heart became hot within me, and as I mused, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue, David says. We keep it in. We hold it back. The pressure builds. And then it comes exploding out in every direction. Yesterday, Susan and I had the great privilege of uh, getting up early and driving up to College Station. I'm not trying to upset folks that are more oriented toward Austin. You see, it wasn't a football game. That was happening on the other side of Alabama, I think. We... We were there to go take a tour of a chemistry building. And if Austin had been opened with its chemistry building and, and a science fair, we would have been there too. We had a, a grand time going around and looking at uh, little scanning electron microscopes making pumpkin faces. Uh, we saw a rose dipped in liquid nitrogen and smashed into a thousand bits by a hammer. Dad got to do the most important thing of the day, which was to watch a American Chemical Society video on how to and not to cook a steak and hamburger. Oh, it was a, it was a very entertaining and a, and a very happy time. But just across the street, they, they had uh, demonstrations on both sides of the road in front of the, the chemistry building. There was a, a little outdoor chemistry experiment or exhibit. Uh, there were a number of young undergraduates there, and they were just having a ball of a time as they took baking soda and, soda and vinegar and mixed them together and made a rocket shoot, as it were, all the way to the moon. A chemical reaction that built up inside of a vessel and then just exploded with, 
with nice and beautiful results for all to see. Well, it's that way in our lives. As the concern and worry and upset that we have about sin is bottled up within us, we can find ourselves at times exploding in upset. And David here is singing to us of that phenomenon. It's described as a fire that burns and then is out of control and comes forth from us. But then the psalmist turns and he speaks of directing this concern in a proper and helpful orientation. Rather than exploding all over the wicked, rather than ruining all those that are around, instead he cries out to the Lord and prays to Him about all his concerns. His tongue is finally loosed in prayer to His Heavenly Father. A good example for us all. He says, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days and let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Now, as David sings, we realize that he's not just talking to God. But he's talking to God, not about the wicked around him, first of all. Not about all of them and what's wrong with them and what they're not doing right. But he's speaking to God about himself. Yes, there's wickedness all around. But David directs his prayer in a way that is to the blessing and benefit of his own sanctification He goes before God recognizing that he too is wicked. That he too is one who from the inside is not all he should be before the Lord. And though he has been silent and all those around cannot tell, he reveals his need for forgiveness and his hope for salvation only in God to the Lord in prayer. Oh, he notes that his life is short. And he ends that extended meditation in prayer with a symbol of Paul, Shelah. Shelah. Stop. Chew the cud. Think about what it means in your life to be just a set of handbreadths in length. God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. The Lord is the one who is from everlasting to everlasting and He never changes. He's always God. But who are we? We are these fickle little creatures. We feel one way when we wake up in the morning and and we feel another way when we go to bed at night. We change our mood based upon our digestion and who we happen to run into and whether our feet hurt or not. Our world is so changing It's not stable and bedrock. It's always this and that. David is here confessing not just something of his own finitude, but the fact that the wages of sin is death. And so his days come to an end. His body and his soul will indeed separate in such a short period of time. And he will find himself under 
the hand of the judgment of the Lord. Oh, life is short. And so David is in prayer saying back to God how important it is for him to know his limits and to pause and think and reflect on the short nature of his life and therefore the importance of each and every day. And David doesn't just do this for his own benefit. He is under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, being carried along by the Spirit. He is writing and pinning and singing and saying words that are inerrant and inspired and infallible. That is, they are never broken in their lives. They are always true and sure. They are authoritative guides. And so he's speaking about you and me, that our lives are short And our need to grasp our small place in this world is important that our hearts may be humble before our Heavenly Father, that we may feel our need of Him and understand something of how profoundly we need forgiveness. Oh, our sins, they have offended a great and a big and a glorious God. And so we do well to know our limits He goes on after the pause in verse 6 and tells us that life is vain as well. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. Here he's describing our lives. We walk down the street in the hot Texas sun and There we have a companion, that little shadow that follows us everywhere we go. And that shadow cries out to us about what we are like. We are just shadows, David says. We are just those who fade and and are forgotten. Surely we are in turmoil for no good reason. We get upset and and we're all in a funk and a dither. and, And at the end of the day, we need to realize that that so much of the turmoil and the posturing and, and the grabbing for power in the world is so much vanity. We feel the swells of such temptation in our own hearts. We want our position. We want our power and station. And, and David here in his song is mocking such nonsense just as he looks upon the man who works his fingers to the bone and piles up his wealth into a mountain. And what does he get? Just what Willie Nelson told us. Bony fingers. Bony fingers. That's all you get. Someone else will enjoy the spoil one day. Oh, life is short and life is vain so oftentimes. And so we should know our limits. David then focuses like a laser beam upon the sinfulness of the human heart. In verses 7, 8, and 9, he reminds us of our need of salvation by pointing to himself. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions and do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. Do not let my, I do not open my mouth for it is you who have done it. Here David expresses in joyful notes and sounds that his hope is not found in himself. His hope is found in the Lord. 
then he looks to him for his salvation. No matter how bad the world is all around him, no matter how small and how short his life may feel and truly be, his hope is set upon the Lord for salvation. Only God is the one who can deliver him from his sins. Only God is the one who can deliver him from reproach. And so rightly his heart is set upon the Lord and he's singing about the one who is the love and hope of his life. You know, to be under a reproach is a horrible thing. You can find yourself isolated and, and having so many fingers pointed at you. You, 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 you. And it can feel like all the world is against you. I'll never forget uh, that high school basketball game where a small group of us dared to go into a neighboring county. But we were ardent supporters of the Aiken High Hornets. And we felt like we had the five best basketball players in the whole state of South Carolina. And we weren't going to let them down. We were going to go with them. And so we made our way over to Orangeburg Wilkinson High School. And as we walked into that basketball arena, it was clear we were taking our life in our own hands. We were dressed in different colors. We were not like everybody else. And they were looking us at us with that southern kind of distrust that said, you're not from around here and we don't like it. And we went in and sat down and our team was totally and utterly destroyed that evening. It was so bad that in the latter half of the game, uh, the opposing uh, home team uh, crowd began chanting. I can still hear the sound of it. Uh, they chanted, be cool, be chilly, shut up, don't be so silly. And we just sat there, very small. And then they began chanting, take your hat, your coat, and get on out that dough. And that's what we did. We left quietly to our cars before they did. And a riot would break out. Oh, to be under reproach, to have all the world pointing a finger and hating. David here is finding his hope, not in men and winning them over, not in men and explaining all of his faults, but he is trusting in God as his only deliverer, the one who delivers him from his sin and also from the scorn that comes from it. David is telling us here that our lives, as well as his, are filled with sin by nature, and so we must look to our Lord as our only hope. He goes on to speak of the kinds of plagues that we face in this life flowing from that sin. He says, remove your stroke from me. I'm spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. And then he pauses again for us to reflect upon the importance of what he has sung. Oh, the hand of God was against King David at this point. Yes, God was his heavenly father. Yes, he himself was that symbol and sign who pointed to Christ our Lord. The one who was truly after God's own heart who was yet to come. 
Uh, David was the recipient of the benefits of the great Davidic covenant and unfolding covenant of grace. He was promised by God that God would build a house for him and that there would be a son of his who was who would reign on the throne forever. Oh, David had such wonderful covenant blessings promised held and held out to him. But yet he knew. He knew that God at times held his hand out against him and struck him with blows not designed to destroy him, but rather to discipline him, to correct him, to change him into greater Christ-likeness that he might truly be what he was called to be, the man after God's own heart. Oh, our lives by nature, by fallen nature, are filled with plague. And but by the grace of God, that plague is turned not into the destroyer, but rather into the sanctifier, that God will make us good who are not good in ourselves. Oh, He gives reproofs for iniquity. He consumes the treasure that we pile up. He reminds us of the short span of our life and the fleeting breath in the winter day, which we are, that that transience of life might admonish us for our own sin and drive us all the more in the arms of the Savior as we feel our need for Him. David ends his psalm by then crying out, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cry. Do not, or hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. God often is silent before the wicked. But here, David is asserting confidence that the Lord will answer his prayer. God is a stranger to the wicked. He is not their comfort and aid. But he is a friend to the child of God and to the righteous one. And so David is encouraging us with this fact. Oh, the eye of God's judgment, it burns against the wicked. But David here speaks of God turning away, looking away, not with that eye of judgment towards him, but turning it away and granting forgiveness and mercy to him that he may live with him forever. Oh, he will pass from the face of the earth. His soul will be called up before God and so his body will be laid in the grave. His days will end in that sense. He will depart and be no more walking on the face of the earth, but be there forever rejoicing in the presence of His heavenly Father. David's experience is the experience of His greater Son, Jesus Christ. The psalm describes for us here the life ministry and particularly the life experience of Jesus on the very cross of Calvary. Was he not dumb before his shearers? Was he not one who cried out for help and aid only to his heavenly Father, not trusting his heart to men? 
Was he not one who held his wicked, his tongue before wicked men, even as they divided his garments and as they mocked his suffering and shame? Oh, he looked to his heavenly Father for his vindication. And in resurrection light, he was vindicated with a brightness and a glory more than any other in all of history. And because David's experience was typical of Christ, Christ's experience is ours as well. For if we are united to Him by grace, if we are united to Him by faith and by the Spirit, then what our head goes through, so too the body experiences as well. What Christ goes through, so His church goes through as well. Are we not called, as we walk through this life, to be in the world on the one hand, but not of it on the other? Are we not called to oppose sin, both by not taking party in it on the outside and also by humbling our hearts and confessing all our iniquity to our God who is able by His Son to forgive us every deed, both that is done and that is left undone? Does not the Apostle Paul say that we fill up the sufferings of Christ even as we walk through this wicked world and we cry out to our Heavenly Father, that He might give grace and comfort and aid. Oh, the believer, as he or she walks through this life, finds so much out there and in here over which to be depressed by. But David shows us how to be depressed. He shows us that in our oppression and depression, we should cry out to our Heavenly Father who can give strength and blessing in time of need. He can forgive our sins. He can restore our circumstances. He can give us the grace to make it through to the next day when you can't take another step. When you can't love another ounce when you can't hope another breath, He can and He will in you and through you by His grace. Trust in Him and see that He is God. Let us pray.